Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 158. Bulldozers, tractors, and caterpillars. He wondered if this was the bulldozer's graveyard where the bulldozers went to die. He drove past the Papa Top Lounge. He drove through Chester, home of Popeye. He noticed that the houses had started to gain pillars out front, that even the shabbiest, thinnest house now had its white pillars proclaiming it in someone's eyes a mansion. He drove over a big muddy river and laughed out loud when he saw that the name of it, according to the sign, was the Big Muddy River. He saw a covering of brown kudzu over three winter-dead trees, twisting them into strange, almost human state, almost human shapes. They could have been witches, three bent old crones ready to reveal his fortune. He drove alongside the Mississippi. Shadow had never seen the Nile, but there was a blinding afternoon sun burning on the wide brown river which made him think of the muddy expanse of the Nile. Not the Nile as it is now, but as it was long ago, flowing like an artery through the papyrus marshes, home to cobra and jackal and wild cow. A road sign pointed to Thebes. The road was built up about twelve feet, so he was driving above the marshes. Clumps and clusters of birds in flight were questing back and forth, black dots against the blue sky, moving in some kind of desperate brownian motion. In the late afternoon, the sun began to lower, gilding the world in elf light, a thick, warm, custardy light that made the world feel unearthly and more than real, and it was in this light that Shadow passed the sign telling him he was now entering historical Cairo. He drove under a bridge and found himself in a small port town. The imposing structure of the Cairo courthouse and the even more imposing customs house looked like enormous freshly baked cookies in the syrupy gold of the light at the end of the day. He parked his car in a side street and walked to the embankment at the edge of the river, unsure whether he was gazing at the Ohio or the Mississippi. A small brown cat nosed and sprang among the trash cans at the back of a building, and the light made even the garbage magical. A lone seagull was gliding along the river's edge, flipping a wing to correct itself as it went. Shadow realized that he was not alone. A small girl wearing old... And that's our page. So, before I forget again, because I didn't make a note of it on the previous page... Uh, on 157, it says, A hawk launched itself from a dead tree and flew toward him, wings strobing in the sunlight like a series of stop-motion photographs. It's mentioned very briefly on the previous page, and it's kind of like when Shadow saw the two ravens sitting outside when he and Wednesday were driving to Chicago. The hawk is not important now, but will become a bigger player later on. I think there'll be a mention of who he is at Maybe in another week or two? No, I've gone out a couple weeks. It might even be a little bit further beyond. But we'll get a mention of it, and I may even remember to discuss it then. The graveyard of dead bulldozers, however, was not something I could find a reference for. It doesn't sound like a salvage yard, but I guess it could be. There's a ton of salvage yards in Illinois, not surprisingly. There's tons of them in probably every state, and I couldn't narrow it down. Although I can also say I've never seen something quite like what Shadow describes here. I know I'm not extensively well-traveled, but... Well, maybe in the Northeast, but that's about it. But I feel like something like that would be certainly memorable, and someone would have made a note of it online somewhere. The Papa Top Lounge mentioned on the page is probably in a town called Ellis Grove, Illinois. It shows up in a couple of online biking magazines in 2004, but I don't see a reference to it after that. So my guess is that it went out of business some time ago, but it probably did exist at one point. If it does exist currently, the internet does not have a record of it, at least. From Ellis Grove, it's about 10 minutes south to Chester, and Chester, as mentioned on the page, is home to Popeye, the sailor cartoon character. There's a six-foot-tall statue of Popeye in Chester's LZ Sea Cigar Memorial Park, and Popeye was created by LZ Cigar. 
Popeye is a sailor who gets stronger when he eats spinach. There's more to it than that, I'm sure. There's Brutus. No, Brutus is not the right one. Bruto? Bluto? I really should have researched that part, huh? There's his love interest, Olive Oil. Eh, there's Sweet Pea, the baby. I'm going off of memory, and it's it's gone. He made his debut, though, as a character in Seeger's comic strip Thimble Theater in 1929, which was 10 years after the comic strip itself debuted. He then became a cartoon character in 1933, and his cartoons were produced until 1957, which is really where he took off as a character. Chester was famously visited by Charles Dickens in 1842, and Mark Twain was somewhere in there in the 1850s, between the 1850s and the outbreak of the Civil War in the early 1860s. It has a post office mural created by the artist named Faye E. Davis, who is most famous for her mural work and who did a number of murals and post offices in Indiana and Illinois. The Big Muddy River runs for 156 miles, or 251 kilometers, through southern Illinois until it joins up with the Mississippi. The river itself, as well as the Big Muddy Basin, is thought to have been formed between 130,000 and 300,000 years ago. We'll be going to back to about 14,000 B.C. in another couple hundred pages, but I don't know that we get anything quite so far back in the rest of the book. Shadow sees a trio of trees covered in kudzu. I'll talk about that in a minute. But he imagines them to be witches, three bent old crones ready to reveal his fortune. This is evocative of a number of things, including the Norn, which we've already discussed previously. It also sounds like the three witches from Macbeth, Shakespeare, and uh, could also be a reference to the kindly ones, a.k.a. the fates, a.k.a. the great ladies, a.k.a. any number of things who show up briefly and then more extensively in Sandman. Regardless, the three trees are definitely another example of the three who are one, the mother maiden crone, etc., although all three are described more crone-like with nary a mother or maiden in sight. The trees, as mentioned, covered in kudzu, is a type of vine, also known as Japanese arrowroot. It was introduced in the U.S. in 1876 at an exposition in Philadelphia and really took off after being shown at an 1883 New Orleans exposition. It was marketed as thick-growing ornamental plant that could be used to shade porches and other gathering spaces and was planted by the acre and left to grow after a bull weevil infestation caused a number of cotton crops to fail in the 1940s. After that, it was officially listed as a weed in 1970 and is now considered a noxious weed as of 1997. It's thought to cover more than 7 million acres of land in the southeastern U.S., mostly Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and North and South Carolina, but also shows up pretty extensively in Mississippi and is pretty much anywhere you can think to look in North America, from Nova Scotia to Ohio to New York City, all the way down south. It may even go beyond that, but I didn't see anything specifically listing that. Shadow also displays a surprising depth of knowledge as he waxes philosophical about the Nile River in ancient Egypt. Maybe this comes from his reading of Herodotus. Maddie mentioned that Thebes was in the same area previously, and I didn't go into it too much. In addition to being a city in Greece, it's also a city along the Nile River in Egypt, taking its name from the Grecian city. And Thebes, Illinois, probably also takes its name from the Egyptian city, especially considering that it's part of Little Egypt here in Illinois. As of the 2010 census, there were fewer than 500 people living in Thebes, Illinois. The page notes that the birds are moving in desperate Brownian motion, and this is known as pedicis or 
more specifically in the world of physics, it's basically just used to describe the random motion of microscopic particles in a suspended liquid. It takes its name from Robert Brown, a Scottish botanist who lived from 1773 to 1858. And there's another thing I learned from doing this podcast. It's possibly not as interesting as three minutes on jizz, but here we are. I'm not certain of the reference of elf light as the setting sun is described when Shadow drives into Cairo. There's an 1825 poem entitled The Maid of the Greek Isle that states, Is yon an elf light on the strand, or torch that grasped by mortal hand? But it leaves me with more questions because it's poetry, and also it's not particularly popular a poem because the only thing I can find is that it was by an author known as G.W., and that's kind of about it. I have to then assume that it's George W. Bush who has decided to go back in time and make shitty poetry as well as his current shitty paintings. The same paragraph describes the light as warm, custardy light and also syrupy gold, so there's a lot of description going on, and it definitely it gives the, the light as the sun begins to set just a, a thick quality to it. it, it it's almost like I can taste it, and I don't know if I like that. It's also some of the most descriptive bits we've had at this point, up to this point in the novel. So I'm wondering if it's because we're in Cairo and the Egyptian gods and how important Ra was in Egypt. I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out yet. But Neil is moving along from various gray-colored skies or talking about the moon. So it could be a bit of foreshadowing to the Egyptian gods. It could also be a bit of foreshadowing because we'll be seeing Matt Sweeney again in another hmm, month or so. We'll get there together, though. There's a small brown cat mentioned on the page. It's the second cat we've met thus far in the book, the first being the cat back in the Zoria's home in Chicago. It's only been a couple of days, but it sure feels like longer since Shadow left there, doesn't it? I'm not 100% certain how many cats show up in the book, but this cat, the other cat we've already met, they have a connection through... Well, we'll get to it, I guess. We don't have to deal with it now. I'm already much longer than I usually like to go with these pages. But definitely keep an eye out for the cats. There's there's going to be some important cat-related details in this in the next chapter, actually, because pretty soon we'll be done with this one and moving on to another Somewhere in America section. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash worldbeyondpodcast. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.